Usually, when we see power exerted, it's oftentimes done so with stoicism. But with passion? Oh, let's take a look at that next, here on Truth For Today with Phil Howard. Power with Passion. Welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We find ourselves back in the book of John today, focusing in specifically on chapter 11, verses 1 through 46. The power and the passion of Christ on display. As mentioned a moment ago, when we see power, usually it's done with stoicism or with indifference. But Jesus expresses deep love and passion. And there is much to learn from John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Join us next. The powerful and compassionate Christ we see in operation here. Never was more power ever resident in one human body than in the incarnate Christ. You've got omnipotence dwelling in a body. And Yet, in this, some of the deepest emotions are expressed that we see in the narrative. Uh, three great issues face all of us, and I think they're answered in this narrative. Three great issues. What is God's plan for my life? When will I see it brought about? What is God up to? Uh, and along with that, What's taking him so long? Uh, that's a pressing issue. If not with you, it certainly was with the writers of Scripture all over the place. Number two, what's death going to be like for me? What's death going to look like? Uh, not just for my loved ones, but when it's my time. What will death be like? And I think we get insights here to what the biblical view and the Christian view of dying looks like. Uh, I said to a man a while back, if I was no, not a Christian for any other reason, I'd be a Christian just for burying my loved ones. This man, who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer, said, forget about your loved ones. Wait until it's your turn to die. Then you'll wonder, do I have the kind of faith that can see me through the shadows of death with little alarm? The third thing that I think is shown uh, in this narrative that we will look at is that, uh, all right, I think God has my future. Maybe you don't believe that. All right, he may be there at death and Christian dying may be great. But my heart is aching and my heart is breaking right now. Where in the world does that put Christ? Is he involved? Does he care? Well, I want us to look at three points. These are great. These are just right out of heaven, so you ought to take them. You don't have any freebies today because Donna is on a cruise. Pray for her. Having a, tough, probably having a latte right now. Three things. First thing we're going to look at, the reason for divine delays. The divine design of delay in your life. Two, 
I want us to look at the divine destruction of death. He's going to destroy death in this very incident. And he's going to lay the groundwork of what he will do in the future. And then thirdly, the divine display of tender emotions in the God-man. And you know, if you're a real man in America, you're supposed to be a Marlboro man. No emotion, stiff upper lip, non-feeling. No, that just means you're dead. It doesn't mean you're a man. Christ, the God-man, he had the great emotions of God. And they were actually in a masculine body. Most American males have been emotionally emasculated. And that's why they become obnoxious. Because part of their humanity has been lost. Let's look at this. The divine design of delay. Uh, you're kind of uh, interested when you look. First of all, verse 4, he said, Hey, don't pa panic about this sickness. It's for God's glory. Well, at the time Christ said that, uh, probably Lazarus has already died. And you go through the narrative here. He is so seemingly flippant or non-concerned about the timing. Uh, timing is of all urgency. Get here before my brother dies. And he even goes down in the narrative and says, I'm really glad he died. Did you notice this? Look, imagine this, verse 14. Lazarus has died, and I'm so glad that our beloved is dead. Maybe they'll say that at your funeral. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. There is this total, a non-shaken Christ in the midst of their crises. Come on, you got to get there. The four days, by the time they got there, it had been four days. It probably went like this. They sent the messenger to say, hey, this sickness is very serious. Go find Jesus. He's over to the east of Jordan. He's staying out of Judea because they're out to stone him and to kill him. So he went to the east of Jordan. Get out of Jerusalem. Get away from Judea. They send a messenger about a day's journey. He gets notified. He waits two more days. Then he's got a day's journey to come back to Jerusalem, which Thomas assumes they're going to their death because they're going to kill him in Judea. So he went at the risk of his own life, but it wasn't like that. Get there. And of course, Martha runs out. Where were you? Where were you? Don't worry about it at all, Martha. Don't be upset. What do you mean, don't be upset? Had you have been here four days ago, I know that you could have healed him in the room. But since you delayed, he died. Well, you, you believe he'll live again. Yeah, I believe in the resurrection. I'm a conservative. I'm of the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. I believe in the Old Testament teaching. At the final day, the dead will rise. And he finally has to say, wherever I am, resurrection shows up. Wherever I am, four days after the dead, four days before, if I show up, 
Death is under control. But the big issue going on here is where in the world is God when you need him now? And that was the frustration of Martha and Mary. They believed in this Christ. They knew he was powerful. They knew he was a healer. But how come the delay? And uh, Martha says it in verse 21 through 24 that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't worry, your brother will rise again. And she immediately puts it to the future. She's not even thinking, I can do it now. It's not in her mind. Later on, he talks to Mary in verse 32. Same kind of concern. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I just thought about this issue. I uh, read Psalms 13 last week, and it says, How long, O Lord, how long? How long? Sometimes even you've got faith for the future, but you don't have any faith for right now. Isn't it amazing we can believe that our sins were uh, forgiven in the past and that we've got eternity made in the future, but right now God may not show up. God's not in my presence. All things work together except the present. All things in the future will work for good because God is often delaying. I, I think of the woman who's had three miscarriages and the clock is ticking. She wants children. When? When? That happened to my own mother. Her first boy was killed. They had Hazel. Her second boy was killed. Then three miscarriages. And they thought they were through having a family. All they had left was one girl. When? When? I've seen this with couples. We want a child. When? When? Uh, you see uh, a person waiting for a life partner and they're getting close to 40. And you know God quits meeting your need for a life's partner at 35. Some got one at 20 and they wish they were 40. They have better powers of choice. Will you ever send me a godly wife, a godly husband? When will you ever save my family? It, it's a it's a hard question, but in the narrative, it's amazing that the timing of God was perfect, but it wasn't the time schedule of Mary or Martha, because it looked like all was lost just due to delay. Uh, I hear things like this. Uh, Jacob, you don't know, we don't have time to look at the narrative, but here Joseph has gone into Egypt. He thinks he's dead. The boys go down because of famine. And finally in the plot to get them there, Joseph said, do you have any other brothers? Oh, we got one. But man, we couldn't take him because he's the baby and our father would sure enough die. And they go back, said, you can't have any more food. And I'm going to keep one of you until you bring Benjamin back. And if you read the narrative, when they tell this to Jacob, Jacob says, everything is against me. 
Everything is against me. And he had no idea of knowing everything was working for him. His son was the vice emperor of Egypt, and it's his plot to take care of his dad into old age, defeat him like he'd never been fed in his life, set him up in a retirement plan in Goshen. That would be marvelous, but in the midst of when you don't know, when you don't know, when you don't know, it seems everything is against you at times, and God's delays seem to be forever. This is exactly what Mary and Martha were dealing with. Did the funeral a while back for Carolyn's cousin who took his life. But the strangest thing about it, he uh, was in church on Wednesday night with his mother, and they were singing the praises of the Lord. He'd come out of a drug culture. He was out of work. He was frustrated there. He had different problems, but it took his life. And when I'm doing the funeral, the big question is of everybody, where was God last Friday when Jimmy took his life? Where was God? And uh, God is never frustrated, even with suicide victims. He's the same place he was when his son was crucified. And there's something you've got to wrestle with in life. Will you wait on God while God is saying delay? It's not my time. It's not my time. And in the meantime, I'm going to see if you'll trust me. Or will you take matters into your own hands? And uh, I, I, I hear of someone that did that. Uh, when you're not able to get the children you want now, take Hagar. That sounds good. Sarah can't have the children I want anyway. So we start inventing other ways to make it happen. And many times we create our greatest disasters. Well, we'll move on. The narrative also shouts another thing. I believe if any place in the Gospels, it just shouts the view of Christ and what the death of the righteous looked like. We get this marvelous view that verses 11 through 14, listen to what he says. He says, after saying these things, he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, I think if you were marrying Martha, you wouldn't say, You've got to be kidding. You don't even know a corpse. He hadn't even shown up yet. He doesn't know. He hasn't seen him in the grave. The, the girl's already afraid that decomposition and the odor of a decaying body has taken over the tomb. But he said, don't worry about it. He's gone to sleep. Jesus, you don't seem to have an accurate stethoscope. The man's dead. The death of the righteous from now on is going to be called asleep. 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 The death of the righteous is called to sleep. Never the unrighteous, not the ungodly. And he says in 1 Thessalonians, he puts his own to sleep. Sleep points to rest, temporary. And by the way, we believe it's the body that sleeps, not the soul. The immaterial part of man goes to be with the Lord. 
and you look at Revelation 6, and we see the souls of the martyrs, they're interceding to God. You see Lazarus uh, comforted in the bosom of Abraham. We see other scenes where there's a conscious soul, spirit existence in the presence of God, but the body goes to sleep. That's the picture of death, the death of the righteous. What a picture. And so the soul, spirit comes back and reunited to the body and resurrected. But the death of a believer is called going to sleep in Jesus. And here he just keeps saying, he's asleep, he's asleep. He said this when he went to raise Jairus' daughter. She's asleep. And he put all the professional mourners out of the room. Get out of here. And told her to wake up. And she awakened. What a picture for our death. I will go to sleep in Jesus. Now, he says a little bit more than that. He goes down here and says, Your brother will rise again in verse 23. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What is he doing? Resurrection is not just a date on a calendar. Resurrection is found in a person. The one who's in charge of the resurrection program, the one who will make it happen, and the one who embodies resurrection power. I want your faith to be personal in me, not in an event. It won't happen without me. I am in charge of raising the dead. You got that, Martha? I am the resurrection, and I am eternal life. It's found in me. He's trying to get her Quit looking to the future and say, wherever I am, there's resurrection power. There's eternal life. You're looking at it right now. Then he says, whoever believes in me, who is believing in me, though he should physically die, yet shall he live. And everyone who is eternally alive has eternal life and is believing in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? Four of you do. Do you believe this? It is an amazing thing. Jesus says this in John 5. He says it here. He said in John 8, 52, whoever is believing in me and has eternal life, there is a sense you will never see death. Argue with Christ about it. The mortal body, we drop it off. Disease, accident, who knows how you're going to exit this world. But he who has eternal life, who has Christ, he says eternal life never will see death. There is no death. No termination to it. The mortal body can drop aside. 
We'll resurrect the body later. But you never miss a beat. You never miss a beat when you have eternal life. Even while you're physically alive, your last breath here, wow, you just keep going on. You never cease to exist. You never lose consciousness. You just drop the body, move out of it like a tent, and you're at home with the Lord. But you will not see death. He said it. I'm not making up a doctrine, I hope. I will not see death. Well, what do you see? I see the resurrection and the life. I will see Christ, who's in charge of my death, mortally, and he's already ended my spiritual death. I have eternal life that can never see death. It can even wake you up in the morning service. I mean, now what? Uh, you can't, if you were a Greek reading this gospel, and the Greeks were expected to read it, they never heard anything in their life like this from Philo, Plato, or any of the Greek temples, because the body just is annihilated, is gone forever, and there is no afterlife. The only thing close to it would be reincarnation. And pray you come back as a good ant. To swim out there. But Christ is saying, Mary, Martha, the resurrection and the life. Now you say, well, that's nice. Anybody could say that, right? Come on. If you do this in the 60s and you're strung out on drugs, anybody believe you. But watch. He goes on in the narrative. And he goes to where Lazarus is. And he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And what did he do? I'm telling you right now, we have no gospel where you cannot conquer death. Death is the reminder that sin and its wages are ever before the human race. But someone entered and in 33 years, he controlled death. He's saying, when I speak the word even to a corpse, it comes alive you can count on me pulling off the resurrection, and you can take my word for everything I said. There, he is the divine destruction of death as we've known it. He make, turns it into a sleep. He says, your life will not be terminated. And that doesn't mean much when you're 20 and when you're cool. It means a whole lot when you get old, quasi-ugly, and barely can get around. This looks better all the time. I shall never die. Because how can you ever really die when the resurrection and the life lives in you? Eternal life never dies. The mortal body we drop off to remind us we had an earthly existence and we lived among uh, in a, just regular ordinary life. C.S. Lewis called our body our earthly tent. Paul said the same thing. We just drop it off and God will resurrect it someday. But it would be totally a new outfit made like and unto his. What a great prospect when you know Christ. Not only heaven made, but death conquered for you. He can conquer death and he has for us. Life 
forever in Jesus Christ. That's the title of our series here in the book of John. We trust our time together today has encouraged you in Christ as we work our way through this wonderful gospel. It is our hope and prayer that chapter 20 and verse 31 will come to bear on your own heart and mind, that you understand why John wrote what he wrote for the purpose of believing and having life eternal in Christ. To review a copy of today's program or to obtain the entire series, we would ask you to get in touch with us here at Truth For Today, and there are a couple of ways to do so. You can call us at 855-833-9864, or you can stop by our website, valleybible.org, and take advantage of the resource materials that we have posted there as well. You're also welcome to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, the zip code 94547. And as always, your gifts make a great difference here at the ministry. No matter how large or how small, your financial contributions to this ministry allow us to continue presenting the gospel here on KFAX. As a TFT sustainer, we would also like to pass along your way a quarterly newsletter along with our once-a-year special gift and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional that we have. Again, these are all just simple ways of saying thank you for supporting us financially, realizing that this broadcast is presented daily here on KFAX through your financial involvement as well as your prayerful support. One other note as we close out our time together today, we would like to invite you to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. You can find out all of the details and directions at our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. We thank you for spending time with us today. As always, it is a pleasure to share God's Word with you. And we look forward to the next time when we can do it again here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. <music>